Welcome to Spiritually Fierce, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Ricky Jane Adams, principal and founder of the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence and creator of the Spiritually Fierce movement. Spiritually Fierce is not just a phrase. It is a movement of awakening consciousness of which we are all a part, if we want to be. In each episode, we'll explore what it means to be spiritually fierce, how to become it, and why it is the revolution in consciousness that will save the world. Join me and my fierce guests for deep conversations on spirituality beyond the trinkets and superstitions of the new age that will support you to increase your power to serve. Welcome back everyone to Spiritually Fierce, the podcast. And today I get to have the pleasure of being the guest. When I was interviewing the gorgeous Krista from one of our earlier episodes, uh, when we wrapped up, we sort of came up with this idea together. I can't remember if it was you or me who suggested it, but the idea of, uh, yeah, getting to share some of my experiences with writing uh, through some of Krista's amazing questions. And I knew Krista would be, I think it was my idea. And I think what I was really excited about is you and the quality of the way your mind works. I knew that your questions would be really awesome and, and delicious to answer. So I was like, yes, I think you need to interview me. So thank you and welcome back to the podcast, two times in one season. Yeah. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. And I definitely stepped away from our interview where I was the interviewee and I, I was really doing my best to not turn the tables and say, what, what do you think about that RJ? And so I'm grateful. I kept those questions to myself because I'm really, really delighted for this opportunity. So thank you for this, this generous offer and opportunity. Well, thank you. And it's yeah, all yours. I'll be timekeeper, but otherwise, you're you're the boss. <laughs> I love it. Well, I will start by sharing that my contextual understanding of your writing started with spiritually fierce. And so there is a dimension to that kind of writing, to spiritual writing, to writing that is coming from from your heart, from your inspiration. And one of the questions that I would love to start with is at what point in inspiration, so as, as those, those feelings, that energy, that message starts to come through, at what part do you start to capture it? And two-part question, and what part do you start to distill it? Well, with Spiritually Fierce, I can tell you exactly, like the, the, um, origins of that book are really easy for me to map and it's funny because I'm writing superconscious intuition now and it's a very different process so um, I in some ways I'm so grateful of how spiritually fierce came to be so I started running well first of all I started the institute with private clients and I realized I was saying the same thing again and again and then again about the true nature of consciousness and intuition to them I'm like I should run a course because I'd save myself a lot of time. And so I did, I started with a one day course and then a two day course and, um, you know, then took it around Australia and had lots of different formats and then we took it online. But before I took it online, I had, after every workshop started to put together the workshop manual that I'd give to the students. Yeah. 
And by the time, I mean, and I taught that workshop a lot. And by the time I sort of got to the point where I was ready to take it online, I was giving out a hundred page manual. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like this is not useful in a classroom setting. No one's reading this in a classroom setting. So what am I doing here? I was like, okay, it's time now for me to turn this into a book. So effectively it came into being by practice, by doing, by delivering the training. And every time I delivered the training, I had more insight, more knowledge, more responses from the students and provocations and challenges. And I kept adding and adding and adding to the point where I was like, yeah, now I wanna put this into something that's going to be more than just like a spiral bound document. And that can actually go out to people who may never have the capacity to see me in person or even buy a program of mine online so I can put it out there at a pretty cheap price point and get that information out much further than me where I can be physically so yeah so I can really map the progress of that and then a second edition did come out because a little while later we can talk about why that happened um, and I pulled the yeah. first edition from sale but it yeah it was really like private clients need a workshop workshop participants need me to turn this workbook into something more substantial and then we ended up with spiritually fierce mm -hmm. so it was a very practical and interactive process in that way so you were seeing how people were utilizing how you needed to utilize what you were writing but also how people were utilizing what you were writing and then moved into tailoring it in that way yeah. I'd love to hear about that second edition. What, what was it about that if you're well, willing to share? Yeah. And look, I guess what I love is that Spiritually Fierce is a map of the Institute's evolution. And really, I guess, super consciousness, super conscious intuition is two because it's like chapter two because it's everything that came after um, Spiritually Fierce. But what happened uh, is that I obviously I released Spiritually Fierce, the first edition, and kept doing my thing and teaching and evolving. The third level came into being at some point, which is the training, the year-long training you've done. And I kept yep. growing and evolving in my understanding of spirituality and leadership and all sorts of things. And there was a moment uh, in, I think it must have been 2018, I'll have a look at when this is the second edition. This is the edition yeah. that you got. Uh, I can yep. show you the other one. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, it must have been earlier. It must have been like, yeah, 2018, where I woke up to my white privilege. And mm -hmm. it was all pre um, Black Lives Matter. It was earlier than that. But there was a really uh, big groundswell movement, particularly through social media like Instagram. And following the work of, uh, first of all, uh, an Australian white woman called Julie Parker who has the priestess podcast, who I really love and value. Um, yeah. She, she really led that for me, my awareness. And I was led to Leila Saad through her, who wrote Me and White Supremacy. But at the time, Me and White Supremacy was an online Instagram challenge, which was an invitation from Leila very generously to invite uh, spiritual white women to unpack their um, subconscious white supremacy programs. Um, and it was the most profound spiritual work, regardless of whether it was meant to be, it was obviously deep, deep, you know, psychological, societal deprogramming as well, but it had a profound spiritual impact for me. And, 
um, it it was a it was a very transparent challenge. So you had to well, you were invited to share publicly comment on her daily posts. Really go into the deep challenges of decolonizing uh, your own indoctrination into the fact that that to be a white middle class woman in the world uh, is a pretty privileged position and privilege in the true sense, not in the sense of, well, you know, did you have a lot of money or did you not? Like, I'm not going to go into trying to educate people about that yeah. deeper conversation right now. I don't think that's what we need to get into, but I understand sure. you know what I mean around yes. that word privilege. In my life is much easier just because of the color of my skin and because of where I was born and all those things. And I had really failed to grapple with any of that in the first edition of Spiritually Fierce because I didn't see it. So sure. when I saw it, I knew the first act of, um, you know, repair that I needed to do was pull that book from sale. And I included um, a new chapter, which is about the part of the priestess as that, that holy rage. So wherever we see these deep subconscious shared wounds in the collective, that is our personal responsibility. So as particularly we have privilege as white women, um, if you're on the spiritual path as well, that suggests you're not in survival mode. It suggests that you have some, uh, you know, free time, disposable income, you know, space around you. You're not fighting to figure out how you're going to feed your kids or, you know, any of those survival things. So you can sit back and contemplate the biggest questions of your life. You know, what's my purpose? Do I have a soul? How does God feel about me? And for me, it was absolutely a call to arms through Layla's work to recognize that I should not squander that privilege and to realize that I, as I called myself a spiritual leader, I had to be leading from that intersection of um, my own subconscious biases, my own subconscious programs as that indicator of the collective shared wound. And that is the deep work. Wherever we see fear in the collective, it's within us. Wherever it's within us, it's in the collective, right? So we can't bypass. And unintentionally, I'd been bypassing these deeper, difficult spiritual conversations because they just didn't on my radar. Like my life's great. No one's ever taken anything from me. I'm not persecuted for what I believe or because of the color of my skin or any of that. So I was, you know, a dumbass. And when I realized I was a dumbass, I did the damn work and I corrected my perception. I pulled the book, I republished, I brought on experts uh, to educate me, women of color, both overseas and in Australia. Uh, and I built that into my training and it's an ongoing continual day by day work. But it really was right. me waking up from naivety to innocence, right? So that naivety is, oh, I don't know, like I'm not racist, I'm a good person to Oh, right. Yeah. I'm a white woman in the world and everything works to my advantage. Like, let's move, like, let's not talk about the patriarchy right now. I'm still a very privileged white woman and largely the patriarchy doesn't impact me in the way it does, you know, a poor black woman, for example. So I'm still fairly protected. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I can see this could go off in a million different ways, Krista, but I'm going to try and rein it back in and just say, wow. yeah, so the, the book became a map or is a map of my evolution. And yeah. You know, I think that is what genuine leadership is to me. It is self-leadership and to be the demonstration. So when I know better, I do better to miss or yeah. paraphrase Maya Angelou. You know, we, we have to do the the hard things, including pulling books from sale and re republishing. Yeah. And, and I mean, in the scheme of things, that's so easy. It's not even hard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question in any way, but that's why there's two additions. 
<laughs> you absolutely did. And I'm, I'm really grateful, RJ, that you did, because that is really an illustration, a very clear, in my mind, illustration of what it means to be a responsible, not just writer, but a responsible spiritual leader. And if we're combining the two, if we are a writer and a spiritual leader, then, you know, we are responsible for what we are putting out into the world, whether it's on socials or YouTube or a book that we've written, or even a quick missive that we have to stand in that congruence. We have to stand in that responsibility and encounter and, and step into that fear wherever we find it. And so that then leads me to that next question. How is that responsibility, that responsibility of a spiritual leader who writes, that is a beautiful illustration of the second edition of Spiritually Fierce. How in real time, do you notice that when you are either putting pen to paper or you know, sending out a socials message or sitting behind your keyboard in the isolation of writing the next book? So how do I notice if I'm being, you know, um, on point or like missing? How do you, that, that responsibility. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is when you wrote spiritually, the first spiritually fierce, you're writing from a place where you are feeling very responsible. And then there is this next phase of evolution. And I'm curious how noticing the evolution, sort of that meta witnessing, <laughs> if you will, if it has shifted, changed, or shaped the way when you are writing, if there's another level of yeah, awareness yeah. of that yeah. responsibility. Absolutely. And I think you, yeah, I really love that question because there is, I guess the answer for me is to take your time and to, for me, this, this last book really the, the book I'm writing now has I've been promising this book for for a good four years now and it's only ready to be done now because I'm ready to do it now and and that is because I've taken my time so I guess that what I'm saying is you know test your ideas the responsibility comes through evidence and or, or can be demonstrated through evidence so one of the the things about a quick publishing world like a self-publishing world we can publish very quickly from you know idea to finished product is that we don't necessarily know if we've gone deep with our thesis if we've gone deep with our contention and our provocation and what i love about superconscious intuition is that it is the last some 2017 to 2021 of everything I've said and done really since Spiritually Fierce. Um, and I've really taken time to refine what I've said and to evolve my understanding and to integrate my learnings and to mature because the yeah. Institute started with a bang. Like it, it just, I mean, after the first year, the first year was boring, slow, and I'm like, it's never going to work. And then it just... <laughs> went off like just went off exponential growth it was just like hanging on for the ride and a lot of activity happened very very quickly and um imperfectly which is fine i mean there's heaps of typos even in a second edition like if you listen to the audiobook there's er errors but i was just pumping things out because there was so much energy available and like i'd spent 35 years waiting for this moment sure and then when 
we moved into the next phase, that sort of middle phase of the Institute and the, the, the reality and the weight of the responsibility and the, the bigness of what I was doing sort of landed that not only took all of my kind of creative energy, but it really did forge me. And, you know, again, from naivety to innocence or to that getting of wisdom that comes with time. And I think we do often lack a maturing in our ideas because it's so easy, especially with social media and things, just to put out any thought that you have. Absolutely. And, you know, often what we'll do if we're challenged on those thoughts is go into defensiveness and protection. And, and even around the time that I was rewriting Spiritually Fierce, you know, there were some big name spiritual leaders who were called to account for their actions around white supremacy. And instead of sort of going in with curiosity or critical thinking, there was a lot of like erasure of things. There was a lot of banning of things. There was a lot of hiding things um, in order to not have to be accountable. And it, it just felt like a, a, an immaturity around ideas. So I think really what I would love to see more of, and, and I love that we hit on this, I think in our last conversation, like let's just say everyone's gonna publish a book. Let's make that the baseline. But then to make something really great it will probably take longer than you want it to. And it will yeah. probably, you know, if you want to really be sure that the, you are carrying the, the responsibility of what you're putting out into the world to test those ideas and to mature with them and through them. And that, and I feel like that's what superconscious intuition is. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm, I am ready and waiting um, to, to lend more pressure behind the process, <laughs> ready and waiting to read Superconscious Intuition. And of course, having the, the teachings and being in the space of being able to interact, it just, of course, moves me even more to want to be really intimate with the ideas and the teachings that are coming forth. And of course, in, in light of that, um, you alluded to it. And of course, um, you are my teacher and I am honored to be your student. And one of the things, the, the, the attractions, what are they, like, an undeniable attraction was when I was reading the book, Spiritually Fierce, mm -hmm. I at once was feeling, this is about me. <laughs> this is me. This is my journey. And I'm so interested in RJ's journey. Mm -hmm. And so there's this interesting component of being a teacher. And as we are, you know, moving into a space of what I hope is, um, you know, to, to use the phrase guru culture, I don't love the phrase, but there's very much that, um, that philosophy of we follow a teacher regardless, or because they have a celebrity status, or we don't question their teachings because it's just there and we are meant to follow. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious because you have such contact with your students, whether they are, formal students or students out in the world who have connection with you, how do you navigate that role as teacher, given that you're not present with every single person who's reading the book at the time that they are? How do you navigate being a teacher in that, that non-local way? That's, yeah, really interesting question. I think you touched on a lot of different things in there that are really important as well, but I write in the beginning of Superconscious Intuition that this is a book that has been, 
you know, it's a collection of my teachings, basically. That's how I've done it. I've, I've transcribed a lot of stuff that I've spoken to my students. And I say at the beginning, you know, this would not be this book if a single different student was in the room or a single different person hadn't been there that day or hadn't asked that question. So it really isn't something I've created in isolation, um, which we know from our teachings would be impossible anyway, because there is no such thing as isolation, but it, it is alchemy. And it's the same as when it goes out beyond the immediate student that was in the room with me to whoever reads it on the other side of the world or in the next suburb. There's an alchemy that's intended that I have no control over. I can't anticipate it, but I know it, it's, it is so which is why we resonate with some teachers and not others, right? There's an alchemy there that we can't necessarily describe or articulate. We just know that's the person we want to read more of or hear more of. Um, and so even writing or saying those words in that room on that day, five years ago, the infinite intelligence of the cosmos it has prepared it so that when it arrives into, you know, the inbox or the letterbox of the person in, the other side of the world 10 years from now that that it was intended for them and yeah. that it will arrive in the way that it needs to land for them which might be that they pick up the book and throw it across the room and say that I'm the worst charlatan that's ever you know been born which is the perfect response for them right so there's there's you know everything is organized to the microsecond to ensure that whatever is done with that intention of you know doing what god wants will go where god wants it to go so there's there's no pressure on me i'm not the responsible party you know and i cannot manage or control how things will be interpreted or not um so i you know i have to it's like being you know i learned this in the theater being a playwright like once it's on the stage and it's being performed by the actors, it's not mine to to take. Like, I can't control how people will respond to it. I can't control any of that. So it's, I hope that answers your question. It's like, there's no, there's nothing about me and my personality that needs to be acknowledged or, or um, credited in a way. It's like, did I do what God was asking me to do? If so, my job's done and how it's received or not, you know, well or, or otherwise is nothing to do with me. Now, does that mean I don't get upset if someone says this is a piece of crap? Of course I will, because I'm still human. But ultimately, I'm not, it's not my job to try to figure out how everyone's going to receive it. It's, it's just my job to do what God's asked me to do and, you know, get it out there. Yeah, absolutely. I love that ability to, you know, just really notice that once it's out there, it's out there. And I feel like a part of our culture now because of socials, because of the instant publishing ability that there is this, there could be this constant um, moving, shaping, changing to make it everything for everyone. And that is obviously, I, I love the example of they, they get it in their mailbox and they throw it across the room because mm -hmm. this isn't that that is exactly aligned for, um, their experience, what they need, whomever that person is. And that, that brings me to that question. Another question about when it comes to, that idea of sharing your message mm -hmm. and doing what God is willing you to do and all, and then 
the promoting a book, the launching a book that, that there's very much, and we've alluded to this a number of times of being an author and the ego attached to that. And I'm curious again, how you navigate what I find to be the most fun little nugget is the launch of a book and the celebration of, of this birth, even though it's been being birthed all the way along. How do you navigate those more, um, those, those experiences that could be really ego pulling, um, with the launching of a book and keeping it in that space of, you know, this is aligned. This is your congruent sacred service. I like that. I think that, you know, there's a couple of things I think, you know, (laughs) It is exciting to launch a book, but it's also terrifying because then it's no longer yours, it's everybody's. And that is the most humbling experience that there is because it's out there in the world and you can't, but no, what I really meant was, and did you misunderstand that? Can I just explain it to you? I can't take everybody by the hand and tell them what I really, really meant for them to understand. So I think for me, it's often the very most humbling moment of like, oh shit, everyone's going to see this piece of my soul now and I cannot control that right Um, Right. very humbling and yes it's a celebration too and I don't think there's anything egoic about celebrating our creative victories and our joys and putting things out there I don't think there's anything incongruent about wanting to sell a lot and reach a lot of people like increase my power to serve is my constant prayer it's that thing of I'm not going to pretend to sit in my littleness and play small thinking that that's humility that's not humility that's being you know a coward I will shine as brightly as I need to shine to ensure that what God wants gets the most traction in the world right so I'll show up for sure and very very proudly uh you know display what I've done on behalf of God and in that is my humility because it's not about me once again you know i've followed instructions everything i'm putting out there is is guided in that way and um at the same time i'm not like oh this is just channeled like everything's channeled everything creative is channeled of course everything's channeled like i don't need to say this is a channeled book because it's to me that's just stating the freaking obvious Everything that we write is channeled, like whether you identify as spiritual or not, that's how it works. Ricky Jane did the damn work, right? God was there, but Ricky Jane put the words on the page and sat up at four in the morning to get it done and ignored her children. So she's taking full credit. It's her name on the book, right? (laughs) Hiding from that. So I think that's that's a conversation around, and this is something that will be in the next book, uh, around true humility versus false humility. So I'm not going to false humble and be like, oh, no, it's just, you know, nothing, no big deal. I'm like, this was a big deal. Like, this is a big deal. Do you know how hard it is to write a book and to get, you know, it together and to put it out into the world and to find all the elements and make it good? Um, so I think sitting in that space of, of you know, being humbly glorious <laughs> and uh, not denying any of that gloriousness and, yeah, just, yeah. So all the things, you can be all the things at once. But I think I think the, the, the answer is always just to feel that sense of joy. Let the joy be there um, because of you've put a lot of work and effort in, but, you know, it it's not it's not me. It's not actually about me and it's okay to just surrender it now. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and it's interesting. Thank you for sharing all of that because there is an element 
I feel, you know, again, we come back to that, that equation of spiritual leader plus writer or writer plus spiritual leader, or just writer plus, um, spiritual student in ascension of their consciousness and understanding that, that I feel as though that ego energy and that sacred service energy, that's a line that a lot of, in particular, I feel women walk. And I'm curious about that, that, idea of being in the spiritual world in a contemporary time and putting out spiritual teaching, spiritual inspiration as a woman mm-hmm. in a, a field is not quite the right word, but in the field of, you know, there are many, many experts out there. And if we're going to speak in the binary here, you know, of men who are out there and we're listening to them and their teachings are fantastic. I'm curious from the perspective of being a woman on that, and we'll just use the analogy on that stage um, from a playwright perspective, um, does that ego line, sacred service, does it feel different in light of showing up as a woman on that particular stage? Are there noticings that you have there that have, that have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, really given a unique angle to what you are bringing because of your experience as a spiritual leader who is a woman. Mm, There's a lot in that, isn't there? I know. (laughs) I guess another part of what happened out of, you know, unpacking my white privilege, Krista, was the recognition that my feminism had not been intersectional. And I guess that's something that immediately comes to mind is that, again, yes, I am woman in a patriarchy, but I'm still very much on the privileged side of the conversation. And and yeah, yes, do I mean I have I have observations. <laughs> I observe that despite the fact that most of the people I see doing the heavy lifting in the spiritual world are women. When you look at the top of the pile, who's making the most money, who's getting the publishing contracts, like all industries, it's men who are getting the rewards. White men, Mm -hmm. largely white men. And, you know, I have loved and adored a lot of those male teachers who sit at the top of the Hay House ranks or whatever. But the more I look at that, the more uncomfortable I get. Um, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with Hay House generally because especially coming out of that conversation you know they definitely do not have good representation of diversity at all in any way but there is still a very gendered idea of what a spiritual expert looks like and at the end of the day it's a man you know when the buck stops you know two thousand years ago and today ultimately the highest voice in the land we still have a very uh you know judeo-christian centric idea that it's god is a man yeah um even though that is not my belief at all but that energy informs where we place our authority unconsciously as well because uh we are also encoded with patriarchy as you know like our subconscious program has also been encoded to believe that men are 
superior. And no matter how much we do the work on that, it is something we have to keep unpacking. Um, and I think often because we also associate God as dad, we often want that male authority figure. So yeah, I think men are often rewarded um, at the top of the pile, but we see that, you know, in the film and television industry and CEOs of companies, like there's nowhere where women are overrepresented except for in the jobs that get the least amount of pay and the least amount of glory. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one aspect of it for sure. And in Spiritually Fierce, I did write a chapter on really the superiority of women and women's bodies to be the receivers of the divine. Mm -hmm. how do I feel about that now? Because yeah. since that time, of course, our understanding of the LGBTQIA community, of mm -hmm. queer, of non-binary has evolved hugely. Yeah. And my own education and understanding has changed a lot. And I would not write that book, that mm -hmm. chapter in that book today. Didn't feel like I needed to pull back from publishing that or unpublishing that but certainly I feel that we're talking in a time or we're entering a time where those binaries are becoming less and less meaningful at and I think spirituality can be a place where that happens most effectively that's why the law of gender is not an immutable law it's a mutable law it's a yeah. it's a it's a polarity or a, di uh, a binary that's going to change and it is changing and the the complexity around that conversation i think a lot of unpacking identity in that way is unpacking the ego identification with form and a few years ago uh, quite a few years ago now i actually started channeling a book with my beautiful brother jesus and it was called Jesus is a Goddess too. And mm -hmm. in that, and I never did anything with it, but in that I have the writing somewhere, Jesus said, you know, this age of non-binary is about that dissolution of over-identification with form, like yeah. with the body as a, as an, a thing, a fact. And the more fluid we become in our relationship with that body and all the identities we carry, the closer we get to God. And that was Jesus like five years ago telling me that. And, you know, I, maybe I need to come back to that, but that would be much more likely what I'd put into a book I published today. So me as a female spiritual leader, I'm, I'm less confident than I was five years ago that that, has any particular interesting perspective <laughs> yeah. yeah and look and you know i know i'm going a little bit off the point krista but please <laughs> you know one of the things that happened out of unpacking my white privilege which was a really profoundly life-altering experience for me which even saying that makes me feel like a bit of a dumbass because it was not about me like it wasn't about me getting a better experience of my life it was about me trying to make you know, get out of the way of other people having a better experience of their life. Yeah. I I have never pursued publication with a publishing house. Mm -hmm. And people have asked me sometimes if I would or have thought of it. And look, first of all, I don't know if I'd be interesting, whatever. It doesn't matter. It, it, the point is I haven't because 
one of the things that really landed to me was if there's finite opportunities and there is for publishing contracts, why would I matter? Like really, if I, if there's only so many seats at the table, mm. I, I don't really need that seat. I can self-publish my book. I can do my thing. What are the voices that really matter to be amplified in the world? And they are the ones that have been least attended yes. to. Yes. Yes. Why would I want to take one of those places for myself? Like why I'm happy to self-publish because then I'm doing it. You know, I'm not taking that from anybody else. It's me, you know, making my own opportunity. And once again, that's a very privileged place that I have the means and education and all the rest of that to do that. But I really quite genuinely feel that it's, it's really unnecessary for me to be amplified in that way. And I'm not sure I'm articulating this very well, but I would much prefer, and, and Julie Parker, who I mentioned earlier, um, has published a book called The Priestess Book or something along the lines. And she got a Hay House deal. And this is her story, not mine to tell, but I know she has shared it. And she turned it down after unpacking her own white privilege because of who they are and what they represent. And she was uh, then published by a small Melbourne-based publisher. Very beautiful book. I'll be interviewing her for this series. Um, and I think part of her uh, contract was that there would be a woman of colour published also by this same publishing house. That was part of what she demanded of them. And to me, that is leadership, right? So I think I'm saying this in a really roundabout way, but I think what I know as a woman spiritual leader is that I'm, I, I have a capacity to really do better to amplify those voices that largely have been neglected in the mainstream um, and potentially are the voices from places where the lineages of everything that I borrow in my own spirituality have come from. Wow. Uh, so this is not I'm, this is not an argument about pure purism or or, or um, you know essentialism like only Indians can practice yoga. These are things that I don't agree with. I think that's an essentialist in a global village. It's these yeah. are redundant arguments and they actually cause more harm than good. But mm -hmm. really to know, you know, as a white spiritual leader, as a woman in the world right now, to be comfortable and joyful even that I I am kind of the least interesting person and that's great you know and that there's so much that I could do just by sitting back and listening and you know creating my own opportunities if I want them but just letting letting myself be aware that maybe my voice is not the one that needs to be lit up the most mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I got even close to answering your question but <laughs> I, well, I'm, I'm grateful for the answer because I feel as though there's an element of that. Again, I think of that equation of spiritual leader plus writer that there, there's a unique opportunity there in all of the ways that you shared to be able to step aside out of the spotlight or be self-sourced because of our privilege or whatever it is in not just step aside and not just be self-sourced, but then say, and these are the voices I feel like I want to hear from, I want to be out of the way of, I um, want to do my part by just getting out of the way so that there's an amplification of underrepresented voices, whatever those underrepresented voices are. And noting that that does come from 
an element of being underrepresented in our culture in general, in, in one, one facet of, you know, when we talk about intersectionality, obviously there's, there are so many facets there. And I I agree with you, we could take that and that would be a whole different conversation for, for a whole stretch of time. But what I would offer is I'm really grateful for your answer because as we think about women in particular, and this is, this is my, my thought, you know, as we think about women of all, all women choosing to step into the space of writing down that whatever that is, that to take up your space, but take up your space in responsibility, um, in awareness of your environment, in awareness of your sisters. And, you know, that really, I'm, I'm really, again, grateful for that answer. So, so thank you for sharing that by all means. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm very intrigued by Jesus. Jesus is a goddess too, was a goddess too. Jesus is a goddess too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So maybe not next book, but maybe next, next, next book or somewhere in there. (laughs) Yeah. I'll have to find the writing because it really, like, it feels like a really long time ago, but it was, it, it was a really in it. Gosh, I'm fumbling with my words, but it was, I guess, genuinely channeled. If we're saying like, it wasn't me writing, it was Jesus writing through me. And I started an Instagram and everything for it. And it, it, it just, I don't know, it just got lost in the busyness of everything. But I, it was at the time when um, Caitlyn Jenner um, mm-hmm. had transitioned. And that was, you know, we've moved so quickly with this conversation. But if you remember when that happened, that was big. That was really like the beginning of normalizing trans culture. And I guess one of the only good things about the Kardashians, God bless them, um, may they please use their power for good, um, is that because she was associated with that family it sort of allowed a very mainstream public uh, connection to the idea of trans um and i know you know that for me that really played in my mind that that was happening at the time i was hearing jesus tell me you know this is the end of our egoic identity with form um and that ultimately that sense is that we'll become more and more fluid around this all. And this is your wheelhouse. It's not mine. You're, you're way more expert in this, but yes, I think it's worth finding it in the depths of my word document somewhere and, and seeing what Jesus had to say. <laughs> I love it. I love it. By all means, please do. So I, I have one, if you're, if you're willing for one final question, one final question, let's do it. Okay. And this, this is really kind of arms wide open to the whole season. Um, and of course offer whatever you will after the question (laughs) (laughs) in, in its, in its simplest writing is truly to your point, it is channeling wherever we feel it's coming from. And when you are thinking about talking to those writers out there that have spiritual inspiration. Where do they start? Where, where do they start with self? So if there's process there, sure. But where do they start with self to say, I'm going to write this on paper. I'm going to get behind the keyboard and I'm going to face that dreaded blank page how do they start? 
Hmm. Well, it's the same thing that I tell you when we're doing the third level program. It's what's your why? Like why, what is your why? If you had 24 hours left on the planet, what do you want us to know? And if you're consistent in that, then those words will flow through you. Like if you have noticed that you're saying the same thing again and again and again, and you want everyone to know the same thing, then you're ready to put something down, right? Because you're consistent in your, in your thesis, in your contention. And that when you are leading with why, with your why, doesn't matter what you're doing, people are magnetized to you because there's integrity and authenticity and there's energy and heat in that. So you have to know why you're doing it. And I don't mean like, oh, because I need to, you know, reach a bigger audience or because my, you know, business coach told me that'll help position me as an authority. It's like, what is the why of your life? And I think for a lot of us, that can be a growing, changing thing. I'm not asking you to have pinned it all down straight away, but to be moved to write a book, as we've talked about, is a big effort. And if you're going to commit to that, what will get you through to the end is that that why is so alive in you and so burning in you that you can't not do it. Like literally, even now, you and I having this amazing conversation, I get to serve brilliant students and clients all day. I want to tell you all to fuck off so I can just get on with writing my book because I just want to be in that intimate fire with my baby. And I keep looking at the tab open. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at the tab. I'm like, why am I not writing? No, I'm joking. Yes. I love this conversation. But that, <laughs> I feel you though. <laughs> you got to be that turned on to yeah. what you're writing that every time you're not with it, you feel like you've left your lover behind and you want to get back as soon as you can to your lover no matter how annoying that lover turns out to be, because it'll annoy you some days as much as you love it. So if you don't have that heat or that energy yet, just just wait. It's okay. Yeah. Like practice your writing, do, you know, short articles, blog posts, whatever, but don't, don't jump in prematurely. And I think this is something that happens again in that self-publishing, pseudo self-publishing world where actually it's not self-publishing. You're paying someone a lot of money to self-publish you. Um, you can get caught up in the celebrity aspect of it and the idea of it being, oh, I'll, I have a book. I'm a best-selling author. And oh, it, it means nothing because then, yeah, you go back in five years and you go, whoa, that was rubbish or no one's ever looked at it it means nothing to anybody because you didn't actually have that huge turn on why yet and it's okay to not be there yet you can practice getting to that place but yeah I just I think there's no point even starting until you are in the heat of that energy yes Yes, yes, yes. I love that. I, I, I will admit there are those moments that I've had just in, in my writer world where we can publish anything, put it out there, whatever it is. And there are times where I hear that and I think to myself, oh, but it's so much work. (laughs) 
And it's also this, it's like the agony and the ecstasy and you have to be all in for that agony and the ecstasy of the process. And I think you said it beautifully. So thank you for that wisdom. And I'm excited for all the books that will be coming through you. And I wish you all the best and all the luck with finishing up the super conscious intuition, because I also know that's a pretty agonizing part of the process as well. When you're finishing that last little bit, I don't know about you, but I get that. Like, can, can we just like yeah. send out from, you know, helicopters all over and just dump it onto cities. <laughs> it's yeah. an exciting time. I find it to be an exciting time, but there is that time just before where you want to make sure you're doing your due diligence. So I'm, I'm yeah. guessing that you're in that phase right now. Yes. And Yes, it is all very, it is, it's like the transition when you're giving birth, like this is the part where, yeah, the rubber hits the road. It's, it's, it's got to come out, but it's, it's a little bit painful because yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on in there. Thank you for your beautiful questions and for this uh, bumper episode. I think we have got close to the one hour mark, but that's good. You know, we're ending season one on a high. Um, And I'm so grateful for your wisdom and your insight and your generosity and for letting me ramble through my answers. But I, I feel like we, yeah, we've mined some really beautiful things there. So yeah, very grateful. Absolutely. It was truly my pleasure. And I was so excited to ask the questions and I fully anticipated we were going to cover ground that, that I certainly had no idea we were going to cover. So that's the dancing in the moment that I enjoy so much. So thank you for such, um, candid answers and your sharing about your process as well, RJ. Thank you. Beautiful sister. It's been an absolute pleasure. In 2022, the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence is bringing you a whole new way to get qualified as a professional intuitive. The Intuitive Intelligence Method Accreditation is a 100-hour training program, including personal development, professional development, and spiritual development that will take your skills as an intuitive to the level of superconscious. This program is available online and in person across a range of different dates and deliveries in 2022 and 2023. We'd love for you to head to the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence.com to find out more about how you can get qualified faster and more efficiently to increase your power to serve.